And uh, let's take our Bibles, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter number 11. We'll go ahead and start with our three verses. In fact, this morning we're going to read them aloud together. You should be able to quote them by now. This is lesson 29, I think, uh, that we've looked at in Hebrews 11. So I'll let you get there. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1, read it with me. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. I almost had my daughter Sarah go ahead and quote the whole chapter. Uh, She taught Christian school for a number of years, and every year she had her class memorize Hebrews 11. When I mentioned a couple weeks ago that, you know, nobody ever memorizes verse 32, she said, we did. So, ready to quote it? Okay, just just check in, just check in. But anyway, Hebrews 11, what a great, great chapter. Uh, we've also looked at Romans 1.17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. In this chapter, the first three verses, God gives us the doctrinal statement of what faith is. I like to let the Bible define itself. Amen? And uh, the Bible defines what faith is. And, and then the rest of the chapter, God gives illustrations of those who, who show us what that doctrine is. And we see all these different individuals that are mentioned, and we've looked at, at many of them. Uh, and we've looked at all the different Bible characters, some of them for several weeks. Some, there are a lot of verses about that, like Moses, there's a bunch about him. Abraham, there's a lot about him. Then you get to this verse number 32, look at it there, what shall I more say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and Jephthah and David also and Samuel and of the prophets. Here God lists seven people by name and then a whole group together with the prophets. Uh, He mentions three of the judges of Israel. He mentions a general. We looked at him um, a couple weeks ago with Barak and uh, and then King David and Samuel. As we look at these, some of these we expected to see these names in the list. A couple of them we've come across, like Samson last week. Uh, That's not somebody I would have readily called out, that's an example of faith. But we saw from him that no matter where we are in our life, we can come back to the point in our Christian life of having faith that God notices. And we saw that in the life of Samson. Even though most of his life, uh, the parts at least that God highlights, he lived in the flesh. But there were times that he was right with God and had God's power upon him. And at the end of his life, he came back to a place of usefulness. That ought to be encouraging to all of us. Amen? No matter where you are, God can still use you. You can still demonstrate faith that God notices. We get to another one of the characters here in this chapter, uh, in the middle of verse number 32, and of Jephthah. Uh, The story of Jephthah is an unusual one. And uh, we're going to look at, at uh, back in the book of Judges, chapter number 11. And uh, we'll look at some things about him. And uh, before we get to, to reading here in Judges 11, let's go ahead and pray and ask God to help us in the Sunday school. Our Father, thank you for the opportunity to be in Sunday school this morning. I pray that you would help us as we study now in the life of Jephthah. May we understand some things uh, from his life that can help us in our walk of faith. None of us have arrived. All of us have areas where we can grow in our faith, where we can learn to trust you more. So I pray you to help us as we study. I pray, dear Lord, you'd help me as I speak. Help me to convey the truths you want relayed this morning and help us to be attentive to it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
We're not going to read the entire chapter in one, one part. We'll start in verse number 1 and read uh, a little bit of the chapter. Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty man of valor. And he was the son of an harlot, and Gilead begat Jephthah. And, and Gilead's wife bare him sons, and his, his wife's sons grew up, and they thrust out Jephthah. And said unto him, Thou shalt not inherit our father's house, for thou art the son of a strange woman. And Jephthah fled from his brethren and dwelt in the land of, of Tob. And, and there were gathered vain men to Jephthah and went out uh, with him. And it came to pass in the process of time that the children of Ammon made war against Israel. And it was so that when the children of Ammon made war against Israel, the, the elders of Gilead went to fetch Jephthah out of the land of Tob. And they said unto Jephthah, Come and be our captain, that we may fight with the children of Ammon. We'll stop reading right there. You go further into the chapter, you know that he had uh, the, the battle with them, and, and the, the victory was won. And the thing that, that most marks Jephthah's life, we get back to verse, uh, verse number 30. And it says, And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord, and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into mine hands, then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the children of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So Jephthah passed over unto the children of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. And he smote them from Eror, even till thou comest to, to Mineth, even twenty cities, and unto the plain of the vineyards, and with a great, a very great slaughter, thus the children of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. And Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances, and she was his only child. Beside her he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass, when he saw her, that he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low, thou art are one of them that trouble me, for I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. And she said unto him, My father, if thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, do to me according to that which thou hast, that which proceeded out of thy mouth, for as much as the Lord hath taken vengeance for thee of thine enemies, even of the children of Ammon. And so she, uh, we'll pause right there in the reading. Uh, so we see his, his vow. He says, God, if you'll give us the victory, when I come home, First thing that comes out of the door of the house will be yours as an offering. And so he, the victory is won. He comes home, and I don't know if he was expecting, you know, his pet dog to come out or what. Uh, he said whatsoever. He didn't say whosoever. And the first, pers- first thing out of the door was his daughter, his only child. And, and a lot of conversation has been made about what did that mean. And we'll get to that. And, and I'll give you a hint, it'll be at the very end of the lesson, and we may not get there today, but uh, we'll discuss that from the scriptures. But that's what he was known for. Uh, he, he said, God, if you'll deliver them into my hands, verse number 32, he made a promise, a vow to God. And, uh, and so we see that, that God uses this great man. It says here, verse number one, now Jephthah the Gideon was a, was a mighty man of valor, uh, very much like the description of, uh, of, of um Gideon, earlier, a mighty man of valor. God was going to use him, and God did. He was a great leader, and he delivered Israel from the Ammonites. But there's way more to his story than that. 
If you look at this guy, I mean, in the New Testament, it just mentions, you know, when it's discussing him at verse number uh, 30, uh, 32, and it says, and of Jephthah. That's all it says. And, of course, the first thing our mind goes to is the vow. But as it is with our lives, there's way more to the story than what everybody knows. Amen. And so I want you, before we get into just kind of the, the details of his vow and, and what part of his life demonstrated faith, I want us to look a little bit at the character of the man. One of the great ways to study your Bible is by the characters, the people. God highlights them for a reason. And so uh, the first thing I want you to notice, look at uh, Judges 11, verse number 1. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor. Notice this, and he was the son of an harlot, and Gilead begat Jephthah. Uh, just by way of introduction, the first observation, he had no heritage. Uh, it, it, he, he had no great history to brag about. You know, it starts describing, you know, some of the kings, King Solomon. Well, who was his father? David. You know, uh, some people have a great heritage. You get to the New Testament, and it's, it's talking about Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, or chapter 2, excuse me, when he, when he was born. You've got those genealogies of, of how the, it came down through Joseph's life, and, and he was in the line to David. Uh, but Jesus wasn't born of, of him. You go to Luke chapter 2, and you see another genealogy of Jesus through the line of Mary, and, and showing Jesus had the legal right to be king on Joseph's side. Joseph had come through, uh, through a different side uh, of the, the line, and God had judged that line, said nobody from that line will sit on the throne. Boy, God's a God of details, and he'll give us these, these great genealogies so we can see how detailed God is. But you get to Jephthah, eh, he didn't have any one of those to brag about. The, the encouraging thing about that is he had no pedigree, but God does not use us because we have a great pedigree or a, a great history, a great heritage in our family. He uses us because we're willing to give him the glory. Aren't you glad of that? You know, I, I thank God I have a good Christian heritage. My, both my parents served the Lord and, you know, dad and evangelist for all those years. Mom was a missionary before she met dad. And, and both their sets of parents, you know, were Christians and knew God and, and, and taught Sunday school on both sides of the family. And, and you go back several generations. But there's some of you in this room, that's not true in your family. What a blessing. It doesn't have to be. Because it gets to start with you. Amen? And that's the way it was with Jephthah. He didn't have all of that. Uh, he, I love what D.L. Moody said when he heard a man by the name of Mr. Farley uh, speak, and he said, the world has yet to see what God can and will do with a man wholly surrendered to him. And Moody said, by God's grace, I will be that man. You don't have to have the great history. You don't have to be the son of a preacher or, or, or the daughter of a missionary. Um, you just have to realize you serve a great God, and God can use you. Amen? Uh, and, and so... Um, we see he had no heritage, uh, no, no, uh, no heritage. Then we see in verse number two, and Gilead's wife bare him sons, and his wife's sons grew up, and they thrust out Jephthah, and said unto him, Thou shalt not inherit our father's house, for thou art the son of a strange woman. Uh, not only did he have no heritage, he had no respect. Uh, even his, his old, he was older than his half-brothers, yet they did not respect him. They despised him. And they said, you're not going to have any part of the family. And they kicked him out. Imagine those family reunions, you know. They didn't care anything about him. And it reminds me of Joseph. You know, his brothers hated him so much that they sold him into slavery. What great brothers, you know. And they hated him. Christ, when he was here on earth, until the resurrection, the other 
siblings in the family, his brethren, as the Bible talks about in John 7, 5, for neither did his brethren believe him. He had no respect. They didn't honor who he was. But God still used him. Uh, in verse number 2 of Judges 11, thou shalt not inherit our father's house, for thou art the son of a strange woman. Not only did he have no heritage, he had no respect, he had no inheritance. So under Jewish law, if if you were the, the, the offspring of a harlot, you didn't get any inheritance. Uh, in, in their family, even though he was the oldest boy, the wealth of that family and the property was not going to pass to him. What are you saying? I mean, in the world's eyes, Jephthah was an outcast. He was somebody nobody cared about. Can I say this? And he didn't have any wealth, but can I tell you that whether or not God uses you has absolutely nothing to do with where you came from, how much money you got in the bank. It's just the touch of God. Amen? And, and, and we see in verse number 3, Judges eleven three, then Jephthah fled from his brethren. He was an outcast. Now they said, oh, you got to get out of here. I mean, I don't know how old he was when they kicked him out, uh, but he didn't get to live there. He, he had to, to go away from them. And you ever know sometimes you just don't fit with everybody else around you? That's okay. You look in the scriptures. There are an awful lot of people that God used that didn't fit into everybody else, into their group. My dad, he keeps threatening to make a button to put on his, his coat uh, when he goes to church that says, I'm sorry that I don't fit in the mold you made of yourself. You know, but you, you get in these places where everybody wants everybody to be exactly the same. Uh, you, know, you, go to, you go to Bible colleges. They want everybody to come out you know, in this little cookie-cutter form, and I never fit any of those. It's probably why it took me 11 years to finish my college degree. You know, most people could do it in four. I did it in 11. And uh, so I think one of my sons is working on beating that record. But anyway, just, we, we have competition in our family about everything, okay? If there's two bugs walking down the sidewalk, we're going to stop and cheer for one. And if mine's not ahead, I will stomp on yours. It's just the way it's going to be. When, we were, when the kids were real little, we lived in West Virginia. I was assistant pastor of the church there, and we were having a, uh, a family fun day for the kids. And one of the, you tell you're in West Virginia because they don't do this game here. We had a frog race. So these kids were going to the pet stores buying frogs. Not my boys. They went in the creek behind the church and grabbed one an hour before the contest, you know. And Zach, he's down on his hands and knees. And they weren't allowed to touch the frog. You could yell at it. I don't know if they have ears and can hear you. I'm not sure. But they're, they're, and they're smacking the ground. So John, Zach is down on his hands and knees. And, and uh, his, his buddies was right next to him. That was um, Jacob. And uh, they were right next to each other. And, and, and Zach's getting his going. And then he went forward on his hands and knees. And his knee came right up on top of Jake's frog. It's like, that's what you got to do. If you're going to win, sometimes you got to eliminate the competition. Amen. Just, it's what you got to do. And uh, I think Zach did win, as far, if, if I remember right, he did. And then when he got done, you know, everybody else was taking their frog back home, except Jake. He buried his. But uh, Zach threw his back in the creek, and away he went. He didn't fit in. Nobody wanted Jephthah around when he was younger. Like, he was one of those kids, I ah, no, no, not that one. You know, like, like when I was in school, I was always the last guy picked for the sports team, you know. I've been asked that way in the ministry sometimes, like, brother, what group do you fit in? The first church I pastored in southern Ohio, 
uh, my, my home church was seven miles away, and my pastor retired. They had a new pastor, and, and I was pastoring in the same area. And one day, the new pastor called me and said, Brother Brenberg, I, I just need to ask you a couple questions. I said, okay, what's up? He said, well, now that you're pastoring the area, and I'd like to get to know you a little bit better. And he said, um, that it, you know, the transition had happened long after I had left and gone to college. And he said, um, what's your position on, and he named a famous preacher. I said, why do I need to have a position? He said, well, I just need to know, you know, if we can fellowship, because we don't agree with him, and we just need to know where you line up with that. I said, what's that got to do with me? And, and, and I asked him a question. He, I said, brother, is he a member of your church? Well, no, no, no. Well, are you a member of his? No. I said, well, he's not a member of ours, and I'm not a member of his, and I guess it's none of our business. He said, well, I just need to know what camp you're in. I said, well, Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 13, let us go forth unto him without the camp. Well, Jesus was outside the camp, so that's where I'm at, out there with him. I'm not going to fit in your little mold. And that preacher and I didn't talk for about a decade after that. <laughs> you know, sometimes you don't just fit in, you know. And I love what it says in Psalm 119, verse 63. I'm a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. Uh, people often will ask, a preacher especially, you know, what preachers do you fellowship with? Guys that agree with that book. I don't care where they went to college. Amen. It's getting real quiet in here. We, we like, in America, that's what's become a common thing. We just divide people in little groups. Now, I'm a fundamental independent Baptist. I believe the Bible is the preserved word of God. I believe all that. But it doesn't mean you have to be mean to anybody. Amen. You find Jesus was pretty kind. And, uh, Jephthah, he was one of those guys that just did not fit in. He was the outcast. Uh, look at verse number three. I love this about him. This is in Jephthah fled from his brethren and dwelt in the land of Tob. And there were gathered vain men to Jephthah and went out with him. So what's that talking about? Well, he was there, and I don't know how long he was there, but he became a well-known individual, and it says that these vain men uh, came to him. He became a natural leader. Even though his family didn't want him and the group he came from didn't want him, wherever he was, he grew to be the kind of leader you wanted to follow. Just like David, when he was at Ziklag and <coughs> in the different places, all these people that nobody else wanted, all those that were, you know, that were in debt and distressed, and all the outcasts of Israel flocked to David. They became his mighty men. He, this guy was a natural leader. Jephthah, his spiritual gift was that of leadership. And we've all met those. They just walk into a room and they take over. You know what I'm talking about? They just have that about them that, that you know, it's, it's, they, they may not have a position, but you get around them and you know they're headed somewhere and, and they're in touch with God. You just want to be around them. That was Jephthah. Uh, he had a natural ability to lead. He was one of those guys you either lead, follow, or get out of his way. You know what I'm talking about? He just, they're going to be a leader. They may not have the title, but they're going to lead. That was Jephthah. But you come to verse number four. It came to pass in the process of time. That's an interesting phrase in Scripture. You've got to study that. How many times God uses that one? In the process of time. That the children of Ammon made war against Israel. Israel was in trouble. Uh, we see that it says in verse number five, and it was so that when the children of Ammon made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to fetch Jephthah out of the land of Tob. 
the cycle we've talked about was playing out again. Israel had turned away from God. God had uh, judged them and delivered them into the hand of an oppressor. Israel cries out to God and he sends them a deliverer. A deliverance comes and then the cycle starts over in the book of Judges. We find if we were to read, and we won't do it this morning for the sake of time, in Judges chapter 10, that for 18 years Israel had been in bondage under Ammon. They're in big trouble. They were being judged. Look at verse number 5 again. It was so that when the children of Israel made, the children of Ammon, excuse me, made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to fetch Jephthah out of the land of Tob. They said unto Jephthah, Come and be our captain, that we may fight with the children of Israel. Wait a minute, this is the outcast. This is the guy nobody wanted anything to do with. He had to leave the country, if you will. But they got in trouble, and they needed to deliver, but they had heard about him as a natural leader. They came to him and said, come be our captain. Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, do not ye hate me? Expel me out, and expel me out of your, my father's house, and why are you come now when you are in, in distress? And the elders of Gilead said unto Jephthah, Therefore we will turn again to thee now, that thou mayest go with us and fight against the children of Ammon, and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Israel needed a leader. And here's the interesting thing. They knew where to go. They knew because of his reputation, he could lead them. It's very much like in Joseph's day, in the prison, when somebody needed a, a dream uh, interpreted, they knew where to go. Uh, in Daniel's day, when they knew they needed an answer from God, they knew to come to Daniel. I wonder where you work. Do the people around your place know that if they've got a spiritual problem, they can come to you? A child of God ought to be known as a place where you can come to get answers. So what Peter said, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you to you the reason the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. Israel needed a leader, and there was one. The spiritual thought there is just faithfully serve God where you are. In whatever setting God's placed you in, and as God blesses your leadership and faithfulness, he will then open other opportunities for service. Jephthah got kicked out of his family. Brother Mike, he could have gone over and just pouted, but he didn't. He did what he could do where he was. Isn't it amazing? When Israel needed a deliverer, they knew they could come there. God had prepared him that way. But just uh, again by way of introduction, and we're not going to get to the main part of the lesson this morning, but I didn't think we would. And Brother Mike did give me plenty of time this morning to think, Brother Mike. But I want you to notice verse uh, verse 7 again, Judges 11. And Jephthah said unto the, the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and expel me out of my father's house? And why are you come unto me now when you're in distress? Here's the thought. They come to him and said, We need you to lead us. He said, Wait, 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 wait a minute. You kicked me out. You despised me. You rejected me. Why are you coming now? Here's the spiritual lesson. He didn't jump at every opportunity set before him. Uh, just because someone asks you to fill a position doesn't mean it's what God has for your life. 
at work, you may be offered a promotion that, yeah, the money looks good, but it may limit what you can do for God. It may take such control of your life that that company now owns you. Uh, my dad, when he was, uh, he worked at BF Goodrich at the, the wheel and brake assembly plant in Troy, Ohio for 32 years. And when he got hired on there, he came in as what they called a handyman. He drove a forklift, he got materials ready for the guys running the machines, and he did that for 32 years. And I asked him one time, I said, Dad, why didn't you become a machine operator? And, you know, those guys made big bucks. He said, yeah, I could have done that. He said, but the pressure that goes with that job wasn't worth it. I said, well, how come you never became a supervisor? He said, oh, I was offered. I could have become a foreman. He said, do you know how many hours those guys work? You understand, my dad's ministry, he, we, he would work all day. He'd get off at 3 o'clock. By 3.15, he'd be home. By 4, we'd be having supper. And then by 5, we'd be in a car driving to a church somewhere for dad to hold a, a children's revival meeting. And then he would drive home at night and then go to work the next morning. If he's working 10, 12-hour days, he doesn't have his ministry anymore. He decided that opportunity that's being offered is not worth me sacrificing what God has for my life. See, a lot of people, that they, they, they'll take every opportunity if it means I can make more money or have this or have that. Not every opportunity is of God. Just because people say the right things and have a good speech prepared does not mean they don't have a hidden agenda. You know, sometimes I've learned in the ministry... When people come up, oh, preacher, we love you. We're behind you. Yeah, I don't like Baptists behind me. <laughs> so that's how you get knives in the back, you know. Oh, preacher, we love you. That's when you grab your wallet and start backing up. Like, all right. My wife laughs. Every time we go in a restaurant, restaurant somewhere, I like to sit with my back to a wall where I can see the door and the windows. It's just it's how I'm built, okay? I can't help it. And uh, it's really funny when I go with my sons, my son-in-law, to go out to eat, and we're fighting over who gets that spot, you know, like, it's pretty funny. But the point is this, when an opportunity is presented to you, that's time to pray. It's the time to start asking questions. He's asking them, why did you come seek me? You rejected me. You didn't want me. And he, they, they said, you're the guy. I'm looking for number seven. He made him clarify their intentions. Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and expel me out of my father's house? And why are you come unto me now when you're in distress? And the elders of Gilead said unto Jephthah, Therefore we turn again to thee now, that thou mayest go with us and fight against the children of Ammon and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home again to fight against uh, the children of Ammon and the Lord deliver them before me, Shall I be your head? He said, okay, if, if I do this and we have victory, am I still going to be the leader when we come home or are you going to reject me again? He's looking at those situations. He made sure that everybody's on the same page. You know, one of the great things that, that I think we need in this, this generation is communication. You need to be able to talk with others and know where everybody's headed, what page they're on. Um, take your Bibles, if you will, and keep your marker in Judges, but go back to the book of Malachi. Or for you Italians, the Malachi, the prophet of Malachi. All right? Malachi, chapter number 3. No, we're not preaching on tithing. But Malachi 3, this is a great verse. 
Look at verse number 16. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. Interesting verse about communication. Here God says, those that fear the Lord, they speak often one to another. What does that mean? They talk to each other. There's communication. And, and God said about that, the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written. God likes it when his people talk to each other. In a church, leadership needs to talk to each other. If you're leading this ministry and somebody else lead that ministry, you need to get together and plan things together. So the church can be headed the same direction. You can't have one ministry going his direction and another ministry leader going his direction and, and they're fighting against each other. You know, I've seen them, they fight for the same workers. You know, every ministry needs more workers than they have. Amen? You never have enough. That's why Jesus told the disciples, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. But those leaders have got to talk to each other. Then they've got to talk to the church. Everybody knows what's going on. And God says, I like that so much, I write it down in a book. Uh, I write everything down. It's, I get this from my mother. I carry these, this journal around. I write all kinds of stuff down here. I get an idea and I have to write it down because um, I only have two brain cells. They don't talk to each other very often. And when they do, it's something momentous and you need to write it down. I keep, I keep things next to my bed to write on. And, and I like the phones now that have the, the, these apps that you can write notes in. I do it all the time. I'll wake up in the middle of the night with a sermon outline. And I'll grab my phone and I'll type it in there. You know, the only light's on that. And I'll put it back on there. So why do you do that? Because I've had God give me thoughts. I didn't write, oh, I'll write that down in the morning. The next morning, like, what was that sermon? It was awesome. And I have no idea. You know, that, that, that little thought is gone forever. Uh, he said, what do you say all that? Communication. When Jephthah was talking to those people that he was going to lead into battle, he said, why'd you come talk to me? You at work, and they're wanting to promote you. It's good to ask, why'd you choose me? Why is it you came to me, and what exactly do you want me to do? The first time I was ever hired as a, as a church staff member, I was the bus director at my wife's home church. Uh, it wasn't the first time I led in a ministry, but it was the first time I got paid to do it. Amen. <laughs> And uh, I had done a lot of ministry before that, but her pastor, Dr. Nelson, had asked me, and, and uh, so I came on staff. And I mean, never forget the first day I was in, 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 in the, uh, on the staff. I met with him in his office before I went to mine, and, and uh, he said, Brother Doug, here's what I want you to do. Remember, this is my first day as the bus director. He said, I want you to start training your replacement. Like, what? I just got hired. You fired me this week? He said, no, no, you don't understand. As you get busy, you know, serving the Lord, and there's going to be more opportunities. There'll be more things we're going to want you to do, so you need to have help doing what you do and start training others to do what you do so you can do more. That's a good principle, amen? But so now I understood his thinking. Well, I thank God for that. I've had other men who were my pastor that you just never knew what they expected. You know, when you filled out the application, other duties as assigned... Anybody you ever been in that role, you know what I'm talking about? That's the one where you're dressed in your best suit. You know, you're planning on being part of leading the service. And they come to you and said, down in the, the boys' restroom, uh, there's water flowing under the door into the hallway. Can you go take care of that? All right. I was in Bible college. 
I was a maintenance engineer at First Baptist Church Hammond. You said, what does that mean? It means janitor, all right? But they had a door where the, the, head, the head janitor's office was called the maintenance pastor. So what do you do, preach to the, to the vacuum cleaners? But I, came, I went there one day. I got up to my, the fourth floor of the educational building, and there's water flowing underneath the boys' bathroom door. I go in there. There's a whole bunch of, of little boys. They, were, they happen to be bus kids, but they were in there, and they're all huddled into one of the stalls. Flush another one, and they're taking rolls of toilet paper. <laughs> I wanted to kill them all. Say, so here I am, the Bible college student, studying for the ministry, mopping floors and wanting to kill bus kids all at the same time. You got to communicate. You know where church problems often come? A lack of communication. People don't understand what's going on, so they start talking among themselves instead of going to the one who has the answer. Amen. Jephthah, he was asked, would you come and be our leader? Would you be our head? Come and be our captain, verse 6. Verse 8, we will go with thee. He said, why? Good communication. Make sure there's no hidden agendas. And uh, we're right where I thought we would be in our lesson. We're going to stop right there. And next week we'll get into the lessons of faith. But I want you to understand, Jephthah's not just a word. He's just not a guy who made a vow. He was a man that carefully followed the Lord. And God used him in a great way. We'll look next week a little bit more. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jephthah. Help us to be a careful leader. Help us in every area of our life to communicate with those around us. May we live our lives in such a way that people would be drawn to us in leadership. May we live such a life that when we do step into a role to lead people for God, that the people say that was a good choice because of our walk with you. I pray you're blessed in the service to follow now in Jesus' name. Amen.